Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the F1 Runoff Area Podcast. I'm Amir. And I'm Charles. And in today's episode, we're going to continue our series of episodes in which we're profiling and previewing each of the 10 F1 teams and their drivers. It's a reverse grid lineup. We're going in reverse order of the 2021 uh, constructor standings. And today we are up to the fourth and third place teams from 2021, McLaren and Ferrari. Before we begin, just want to say thanks again to our friend K-Strobes for letting us use a clip of his song, No Michael, No. If you'd like to hear the whole track or even buy the track for yourself, check out our episode notes where you'll find links to do that. Charles, how are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. Well, I feel like, we'll, you know, we're going to dive in in a minute, but I, I feel like we have to preface this episode because I, I feel like McLaren and Ferrari are just in a category of their own. They happen to be bunched together here for this episode, which is serendipitous. But these are really, you know, the two teams that have just the super long decades of history in F1. So I just I just feel like we need to take a moment to to just <laughs> add extra emphasis on these two teams and their uh, history in F1. For a lot of years, they were both part of the big three of Ferrari, McLaren and Williams. And it is nice that they're together um, here. Of course, we're doing the reverse grid. So they happen to finish, you know, what, third and fourth last year. Agreed. Well, let's get to it. We'll start with 2021's fourth place team, McLaren. So McLaren's been racing in F1 since the 1960s. Uh, in fact, they've been competing in F1 continuously since 1966. So this will be their 56th year in a row wow, competing yeah. in F1. And behind Ferrari, McLaren is actually the second oldest active F1 team. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. They're a UK team. Um, and as, as an example of McLaren's, I want to find another word besides storied, um, but I, it keeps coming to mind. So McLaren has 12 F1 drivers championships. The most recent one, Lewis Hamilton in 2008. Wow, that's the most recent McLaren world title. Huh? Yeah. And McLaren has won eight constructors championships. Uh, the most recent, 1998. So a lot of uh, accolades uh, through the years. But actually, in the last 20 years, you know, between the Constructors' Championship and the Drivers' Ch Championship, um, McLaren's only racked up that 2008 Drivers' Championship with Hamilton. Yeah, it's been a pretty big, uh, big fall-off for them. Um, similar to Williams in, in the fall-off, maybe a little bit uh, later, Though Williams did have a pretty good mid-2000s there. so hmm. um, But both teams were, you know, really good up through at least the early mid-2000s. mid, mid -2000s. You know, they were consistently at least close to the top three, if not in it. Yeah. But, yeah, as of late, uh, and of course, Williams has suffered much more than McLaren in the last few years. Um, but after the Honda debacle with McLaren – McLaren started to uh, move back forward again. So we'll see if they can crack the top three this year. Yeah, we're going to talk about that, how McLaren's been, you know, trying to reclaim some of their past glory. And it, it looks like they're, you know, it appears they might be on the cusp of, of doing just that. Um, so the current driver lineup for McLaren is, of course, Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo. Same lineup as uh, last year. And I'll just recap McLaren's performance in the Constructors' Championship last five years, as I like to do. 
Uh, starting with 2017, they finished ninth. 2018, sixth. 2019, fourth. 2020, up to third. And then 2021, slipped back to fourth. So a definite trend there from ninth in 2017 and then uh, third and fourth uh, the last couple of years. And if you look at their point totals over those years, it's been steadily increasing uh, each of those years. So a distinct trend on McLaren's part uh, toward uh, the front of the field. Well, I bet that aligns with the drop from Honda and move to Renault as well. I don't know. I don't remember which year that was, um, whether it was Honda's last year with them, but that was a big problem for them which was also interesting because they had no trouble, you know, with Toro Rosso and Red Bull, they seemed to have success pretty early on, but with McLaren, not, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty bad there for a while. So once McLaren got rid of Honda, it seemed like uh, that was half the battle, so to speak. And a couple more points on, on last year's performance in the Constructors Championship. You know, they finished fourth, as I said, but they were pretty close to Ferrari in third. Um, then Alpine was, uh, you know, quite a ways behind in fifth so you know they were kind of you know and of course mercedes and red bull were way ahead um of of ferrari in third but then um mclaren was pretty close to ferrari in fourth and they actually against kind of what i say they have been sort of moving up the grid at a faster pace than than maybe you would would expect and i think the reshuffle they had a, a while back with zach brown coming in mm -hmm. i think that's been a big part of it too yep I want to mention real quick, too, with me, with Zach Brown, I feel like I'm going to bring up the Alonzo Vettel happiness thing. Um, <laughs> when you think about last season, you think about the war of words between Horner and Wolf. Then you look at Zach Brown, and he just looks like someone who's happy to be there and really excited yeah. to be running McLaren, and he's you know, showing you the cars in the factory and giving tours and stuff. I, mean, I know they all do that, but he seems happy to be there. <laughs> it seems interesting, and it's pleasing, right. as I said with the others. It's pleasing to see somebody... Um, operating like that. Um, all right. Well, let's turn to the McLaren drivers. We'll start with Lando Norris, 22 years old, born November 13th, 1999. He's British. And by the way, Charles, I think you said in passing in one of our previous episodes uh, that you weren't sure if Lando Norris's uh, family had money. Well, I have the same note. Do you? Um, okay. I just said, Dad is very rich. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, his father is reportedly in the top 500 richest people in England, so um, the Norris family is doing quite well. The summary of Norris's F1 career is, is short and simple. He debuted in F1 uh, in 2019 with McLaren, and he's been with them the whole time, so he just completed his third season with McLaren. He has 60 career F1 starts, five podiums, Best finish, P2, which he's done twice, and 306 career F1 points. Not a bad F1 career so far. Indeed. He's, he certainly seems to be the future of, of McLaren, and we'll talk about that a little more when we get to uh, Ricardo and, and the comparison between Ricardo and Norris, just Ricardo as well. But, yeah, the, the future is now at McLaren, and that's, that's most likely Norris. Yeah. Um, I want to begin yeah, with Norris, where I always do in the uh, golden age of karting. He did not start karting at nine. It was seven for Norris. Okay. So uh, another profession. He had a uh, very strong karting career. Um, I won't get into that too much, but his CV before F1 2017, FIA European Formula 3 champion, 2018 and F2, he was second, uh, 68 points behind George Russell. 
Uh, not a dominant F2 performance, um, not a bad F2 performance, pretty yep. darn good, um, uh, particularly considering his uh, uh, competition was George Russell. Okay, and then and last year in the Drivers' Championship, Norris finished sixth. It's a bit of a tongue twister there. <laughs> um, his best qualifying uh, position was P1 in Russia. And his best finish was P2 in Italy. That was when McLaren finished 1-2 with Ricardo taking the win. And then there's kind of an asterisk there because he almost had Russia. He was... Oh, that's right. With the rain. Uh, last lap, I think, right? Or maybe the last couple of laps? It seemed like it was very near the end. Yeah. But he did almost have it. But it's also kind of a... It was a strategy gamble, right? I think he was up front because he was on a different tire. I don't remember exactly. Certainly heartbreaking, but maybe it was just the wrong strategy. Right. He also almost won Italy. I mean, I think he was second to, uh, obviously second to Ricardo, but, you know, he might have had the pace. Um, Mm -hmm. Just they're not going to, you know, they got a chance for a one-two. At this point, McLaren's not going to risk that and let them uh, play amongst themselves, so to speak. Right. And I think he, he made some comments that he could have possibly, uh, you know, challenged Ricardo. That was Norris's excuse for why he didn't win on a day his teammate did. Yeah. But doesn't mean that there isn't some truth to it. He may have been quicker. Who knows? Yep. yep. And the sixth place last year in the Drivers' Championship was his best performance so far in the three years he's been in F1. Uh, in 2019, his rookie season, he finished 11th. And then 2020, he finished 9th. So we'll get to the comparison of Ricardo and Norris last year. But I want to go back to 2020, and in a way 2019 as well, when Norris was paired with Carlos Sainz. We're going to get to Sainz later, but this is an interesting, and this is one of the reasons this episode for me is so interesting to, ha- so interesting, excuse me, to have Ferrari and McLaren in the same episode because they've got a swapped driver lineup in some ways. So in 2020, Sainz actually did beat Nor- Norris in points, 105 to 97, they were pretty evenly matched together as teammates. And they were teammates in both 2019 and 2020. Fairly evenly matched. And I think it's really interesting. In 2019, they were like bros. They were buddies. They were having fun in the interviews. They're teasing each other. It was just the environment. And, you know, McLaren's mm-hmm. starting to come back up again. Mm-hmm. So they're having fun, right? Yep. But as we talked about in another episode, I think with Alonzo or Vettel, once there's blood in the water, that relationship starts to get fraught because these guys are out for themselves. Well, 2020 was kind of like that. You saw the bromance turn a little bit to frenemies. And at mm. one point I saw a clip, I think this is from 2020 and to, not 2019, but Science sort of jokingly trips Norris during an interview. And Norris actually like twists his ankle or something. Oh. And you can see it went from, you know, it's like the brothers, then one of them takes it too far. Right. Norris got pissed. But science is still kind of like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> um, but you did see once McLaren's starting to do better, their second year together, and this is an important moment for science. You know, he's got to establish himself here mm-hmm. um, now that he's kind of moved on from the Red Bull program. You know, obviously Norris is a rookie in 2019 coming in. So this isn't like it's not, this is pivotal moments for both of their, their careers. But, you know, but there's not a lot of stakes in 19. Yeah. 20, the stakes get higher. And that friction comes the, a bit about. The knives come out. Yeah, yeah. And so Norris did well against Science, but they were pretty close, pretty evenly matched. So it was interesting to see when Science left, Ricardo came in, 
how that was going to be, and I want to get to that comparison um, definitely. But a little bit more about Norris. Um, I didn't go back and re-research this, but I read a while back about Norris when he was still in the latter series, and maybe right when he first came to F1. He was living in a flat in London with a friend of his who was also, I don't remember who it is, but was also in the lower formula ranks, F2, F3, something like that. So they live together. They both have their iRacing sim rigs in separate bedrooms, and they basically iRace all the time that they're not actually <laughs> real racing. They iRace all the time. He's talking about them trying all kinds of different setups and everything, and they're bouncing stuff forth. They're all racing in their different leagues and, and uh, races. And I'm just picturing this in my mind. You know, it shows you this is a profession, right? These are not well-rounded individuals. Yeah. Um, but I just thought that was hilarious. He's this 18, 19-year-old kid, uh, kids. They're both living together. They probably didn't see each other in person, but like in passing once or twice a day. But they're on their mm -hmm. headphones in rooms next to each other, you know, making the greatest setups and iRacing you can you can find. Right. That's just the level of professionalism, you know. It starts in card at seven. It's not quite that level, but it's it's already a professional. But I've always I've always found that funny. I'm assuming now Norris does not live with anyone else in a small flat in London. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably um, a safe uh, assumption. So let's get to Ricardo's background so we can compare the two of them. So Ricardo is 32 years old, born July 1st, 1989. He's Australian. And I'll briefly summarize his uh, F1 career here. Ricardo made his F1 debut in 2011. He was a uh, test driver for Toro Rosso at that time, but they, they let him drive for HRT. Um, so he raced 10 or 11 races that year, finished pretty much at the back of the pack uh, every time. Which was right about where HRT Right, that's, should what, be. that's what the car yeah. deserved. Um, and then he started racing with Toro Rosso in 2012. Raced at Toro Rosso uh, 2012 and 2013. 2014, he gets promoted to Red Bull and then races with Red Bull uh, from 2014 through 2018. He then goes to Renault uh, for 2019-2020 and finally uh, moved to McLaren for the 2021 season. So just completed his, his first season at McLaren. Ricardo has 210 career F1 starts 32 podiums, he has eight wins, and uh, career F1 points, 1,274. And last year in the uh, Drivers' Championship, finished eighth. Uh, his best qualifying position was P4 at Spa, and his best finish was, of course, that win in Italy, the 1-2 for McLaren we mentioned earlier. And um, I'll just recap his performance in the Drivers' Championship last five years. Starting with 2017, um, he's at Red Bull, finishes fifth. 2018, sixth, still at Red Bull. 2019, now at Renault, uh, slides back to ninth. 2020, up to fifth, still with Renault. And then 2021, as I said, uh, uh, slid back to eighth. So much I want to talk about with Ricardo before I even get to the comparison with Norris. But we'll start with this carding age, and it is the golden age of nine. <laughs> 2009 British Formula 3 champion, if I remember correctly, in 2009, the British Formula, the British Formula 3 championship might have been one of the premier uh, championships still within the F3 realm. Um, you go back 20 years, you know, British F3 was sort of the, the measuring stick. 2010, second in Formula Renault 3.5. 
and that led to his uh, step up into F1. So with Ricardo, I, I just want to say I, I've always been a big Ricardo fan, and it goes back to when Ricardo and Verstappen were teamed together at Red Bull. I did not want Verstappen to get the upper hand on Ricardo. Mm-hmm. It was a very interesting situation because Vettel was there established, and Ricardo came into the second seat and actually beat Vettel. I think Ricardo had three wins the year that he stepped into the seat next to Vettel, and Vettel didn't have any. And, of course, that chased Vettel away to Ferrari. Then Verstappen steps up into the Red Bull seat and sort of challenge. He's the Now he's the young guy challenging okay. Ricardo, who's not exactly Sebastian Vettel in there because he doesn't have any world titles. But it's still kind of the, the same situation coming in. Well, Ricardo did very well against Verstappen, and obviously Verstappen's um, – you know, pretty inexperienced in coming in. And as he gained more experience, more time they were partnered together, it started to look like the balance was shifting to Verstappen over Ricardo, mm-hmm. um, particularly in outright, outright speed. It seemed like Ricardo kind of saw the writing on the wall. Um, yeah. He's a rated driver. And, but Verstappen is like, you know, the once-in-a-generation talent. It's hard to argue that Ricardo isn't. But anyway, so he pretty much ran away from Verstappen. However you want to say it, that's... Really what happened, he saw the writing on the wall. This was going to be Verstappen's team at the very least, but, you know, maybe there's just that extra 10th. So he moves on, moves to Renault, and this is going to be a hopefully you step into a team that's on the rebuild. Because, of Mm -hmm. course, back then they were also on the rebuild, like they are now. Steps in there and shows Nico Hulkenberg the door to F1. Hulkenberg, Mm -hmm. a very rated driver. Hulkenberg stepped in the Renault seat and pretty much pushed out Jolene Palmer, and really, Hulkenberg's a very rated driver over his career. He was, he was sort of one of the guys you expected. If he got a world championship card opportunity, he could probably uh, take it. Ricardo teams with him and beats him. Ricardo's new to the team. Hulkenberg had a season in the Renault. Ricardo was new to it. Didn't seem to need very much at adaptation time. Didn't, like, wipe the floor with Hulkenberg, but he beat him. And Hulkenberg, that kind of sort of fizzled out Hulkenberg's career. Uh-huh. Well... Ricardo, you know, he doesn't have a lot of time. These these musical chair moves, when you see Verstappen, this is Verstappen teams, i got to find my own team, you don't have a whole long. You start waiting three, four, five years. The team you finally find has their Verstappen. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of what happened with Ricardo. It was a good move in my uh, view to move from Renault to McLaren. He saw the shift. McLaren's the one more likely to actually make it up to the grid, make it up to the top of the grid yeah. faster. But now he's run up against Norris, yeah. and Norris has enough time in the team, has showed enough ability that the future is now. The future is Norris at McLaren. Um, I really rate Ricardo. I want to see him succeed. I like Norris. This year is going to be interesting to see how they do. Norris beat him last year. Ricardo really struggled adapting. But now we've yeah. got that two sides of the same coin thing. Did Ricardo by the end of the year, by the sec- by the last quarter of the year? Did Ricardo still need some adaptation time? Was he still not there? Or is Norris that good? Because Mm -hmm. Ricardo, by the end of the year, did seem to finally get... I think Norris was still a little bit ahead of him. But even if you argue he got to even, it's going to be tough. Yeah. Um, So uh, this year is really interesting to me to see how these two do. And if Ricardo can really prove himself to be that top-notch talent. That I think he is, but... I think Norris might be too, and they're, you know, it might just come down to 
how the car suits either their styles, which one comes out on top. But this is a pivotal moment for both drivers in their career. If Ricardo doesn't beat Norris, um, not necessarily convincingly, but doesn't consistently beat Norris over a season, Ricardo's next move is going to be down the grid. His next contract's going to be down the grid, not mm-hmm. up it. Um, and if Norris can't beat Ricardo, Norris probably won't be viewed as the Verstappen of McLaren. The next thing, yeah. he'll probably be viewed as a little, you know, it'll it'll tarnish him a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then Ricardo maybe can grab that brass ring. But I really think Ricardo. I'm, you know, I said that about Gasly. Um, doesn't look too good for him, like you know, becoming world champion. This is it for Ricardo. I don't really think he's going to have another shot at a world championship, and that's of course assuming McLaren can get in the top two or three and challenge for a title in the next year or two. Really, I mean, you know, three years from now, who knows? Yeah, you can't count that. They can get in the next two years. He might be able to get that world title, but he's got to beat Norris. Yeah, and I'm not sure he can. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple, a couple factors that maybe suggest even though Norris convincingly beat Ricardo last year, that suggests maybe, you know, if they were just continuing without the rule change, that things would start to level off um, because Ricardo was new to the team. So Norris had, you know, two years of familiarity with the team and the car and Ricardo had to adjust to to all of that on the fly. And now you've got the rule change. So it's kind of uh, wiping the slate clean and kind of leveling the playing field for both of them. Ricardo settled in. So it's kind of more of an even fight in a way. Yeah. I, I think that the adaptation argument, it's hard to give that legitimacy for the entire year. You know, you should be able to adapt, I feel like, after three quarters of a season. And most of the other new drivers, Alonzo, Science, that we talked about, did get to a, a higher level. So now, granted, maybe there was a specific issue Ricardo had, and I do, I do think it was something to do with the brakes. Um, so that's, of course, understandable. I think the wiping of the slate clean with the new rules will benefit Ricardo more than Norris because I think it will take away whatever advantage Norris still had yeah. that was because he was ingrained in the team. Right. Now, that's not the same thing as the team being built around him or designing a car for him, but just in terms of he was the one given the feedback, this is what it should go yeah. before Ricardo got there. So that's going to even out a bit this year. Okay, well, that about does it for McLaren. Lots to look for. It's a really interesting uh, teammate competition uh, to watch. As you said, Charles, this is kind of Ricardo's shot, and it's now or never for him. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. So let's move up the grid now to the fourth place team from last year, Ferrari. And Ferrari, really a team that needs no introduction, right? I mentioned earlier, McLaren's the second longest continuously competing team in F1, and Ferrari is the team that has competed in F1 continuously for the longest period of time since 1950 when the F1 championship began. Wow. So Ferrari is the only team to have competed in every F1 season since the championship's founding in 1950. And like McLaren, uh, a ton of uh, F1 accolades over the years 15 F1 uh, Drivers' Championships, the most of any F1 team ever, and 16 Constructors' Championships, also the most of any F1 team ever. But also like McLaren, it's been a while since uh, Ferrari's been at the top. Um, Their last Drivers' Championship was 2007, um, and their last Constructors' Championship was 2008. Wow, you have to go all the way back to Kimi Raikkonen in 2007 to get their last Drivers' Championship. And, of course, I'm looking at the list here. They dominated the 2000s with Raikkonen in 2007, 
and then uh, Schumacher 2000 through 2004. So they won six out of what is that? Eight, uh, six out of eight years. Yeah. A lot of success. Yeah. And, you know, Mercedes has kind of taken that mantle from them. Obviously, Mercedes has been dominant even longer. I think they have the, the records for right. that. In 2019, it looked like Ferrari was, was there. They were challenging for the world title and race wins. So it was nice to sort of see them back. And I was excited to have Leclerc, you know, doing so well. But <laughs> a little bit of a possible question as to the legality of their engine, I think, over the year. This, this, mm. The super secret uh, settlement between them and the FIA. And then the next season, their engine all of a sudden is quite a bit down on horsepower. And it took them through 21 to really recover, I think, that engine that engine comparison to Mercedes and, and Honda then by that point. So what happened there exactly? Can you say a little bit more about that? I think, I mean, I don't know that much about it, and I think it was a point of contention with some of the other teams in that they didn't release whatever the settlement was. And, you know, that's kind of damning. If they're not willing to talk about it publicly, they're slapping Ferrari on the, you know, on the hand or, you know, maybe on the back of the neck or something for, for what they did. But if it was an illegal engine throughout the season, and that's how they were, they were getting some horsepower advantage from that, or eking more horsepower out of the motor from that uh, violation of the rules, you know, that could carry a pretty big penalty, you know, disqualification from the world championship, you know, then you lose yeah. all your, your money from the constructor's points. Um, mm -hmm. So you can see why it got handled that way, but I think Wolf um, and maybe even Horner last season made a comment early in the season, made a comment about that. Like, you know, it would be nice if we would know what happened. Um, but just by the fact that it was so secretive, you have to assume that Ferrari was in <clears throat> at least a pretty, uh, you know, over the spirit of the rules or something. Um, yeah, and it uh, it was disappointing because of how much it ended up handicapping them. Of course, if they deserved it, they deserved it. So I'm not. And so I'll just summarize Ferrari's performance in the Constructors' Championship here the last few years, and we'll, we'll kind of see what, uh, what what you've been discussing here. Um, 2017, Ferrari was second. 2018, second. 2019, second. And that's the year you're referencing where something happened um, between the FIA and Ferrari that, that wasn't disclosed. And probably one of, or probably the only year of those three years you mentioned where they were really a, a title contender, right? And so then in 2020, they slide back to sixth place. Um, and then. See, there you go. Right, second to sixth—that's yeah, a big, that's a big slide, slide for yeah. Formula One and for Ferrari. You got to get the car. Normally, you got to get the car pretty wrong to move that far back down the grid. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that highlights it more than I expected. Yeah, what well, you said, second to sixth. Wow. Um, and then last year they rebounded back up to uh, third place, and as we uh, kind of mentioned earlier, um, big gap um, up to first and second uh, as far as Mercedes and Red Bull. Um, and then, uh, so it was a distant third for Ferrari, but, but, but nonetheless, and yeah. they may have used, they may have been able to, at some point devote resources to clawing that horsepower that they lost back through some other component of the engine. They clearly did. Right. Yeah. Um, so, um, so that's the, the trend for Ferrari in recent years. And a lot of people are, are liking, are very bullish on Ferrari for this season. And the testing did not, uh, I think, only uh, bolster that view among many people. Ferrari looked real sharp in the testing. They had, I think, what has been described as sort of the, one of the best tests, uh, at least for them in, in recent years. They had did a lot of laps. 
um, had very good reliability, almost no issues like that, and it sounds like they were able to get through their programs. Uh, clearly, they were at the top of the timesheets for a lot of the, or at least near the top, almost almost always. You know, we don't know about fuel loads, other things affecting it. Um, but either way, that's a pretty good pretty good test. And unless they were doing glory runs almost every day, um, it, it shows that they're going to be they're going to be up there. Yeah. What's a glory run? So, you know, a low fuel run to look fast, you know, you take, you know, you may be even underweight from how you would race the car. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, teams in the past have done that frequently. Teams lower down the grid will maybe do a, a real low fuel, real low weight, you know, run off the car, generate some publicity. Oh, Minardi all of a sudden mm-hmm. put the fastest lap in on the last day of testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of discussion that the Haas run may have been a bit of a glory run and it probably okay. was lower fuel so those could have been could have been glory runs they may not have been it might have just been normal conditions you know normally we're on a, we're doing a qualifying simulation that could be it right. it's not necessarily a glory run just because you're doing yeah. a qualifying simulation but there have been glory runs where they pull you know they probably take weight out of the car that one gets them below the minimum weight but also that you know might be something that you know the car can only run a couple laps or something these yeah. days i don't think there's too much you could do with that but you go back in the past there were things they could pull out you know they used to run qualifying engines that had you know 400 more horsepower than the main engine hmm. but it would grenade after three laps so you know okay well uh, let's turn to the drivers now uh we'll start with uh leclerc charles leclerc charles leclerc He's 24 years old, born October 16th, 1997. He is from Monaco, so he's Monegasque. I have not seen that word. Monegasque? Was he raised in Monaco? I don't know. His nationality is Monaco. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I know they all live, half of them live in Monaco or Switzerland Yeah, but now he's like, Mon- he's not French. He's Monaco. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah. wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Monegasque. So just look at this guy. Born in Monaco. He's now a Formula One driver with Ferrari. I mean, you won you won the life lottery, Charles, the human being life lottery. Yeah, certainly he's he's worked for it and he's earned it. But uh, yeah, yeah, you you almost need need that kind of a background to to make it to Formula One these days. It takes so much so much money and the ability to devote yourself as a professional, even when you're not in that period of life when normally you could you would you would do that. Yeah, and. Um, Leclerc debuted in F1 in 2018 with Sauber, uh, moved over to Ferrari in 2019. So last year was his third season with Ferrari. He's got 81 career F1 starts, 13 podiums, and two wins. And he's got 560 career F1 points. Probably Uh, could have had a few more wins in 2019. I know one of the early races that would have been his first win, he was leading in command of the race and had a mechanical failure. Uh, pretty close to the end. So that would at least have been a third win. I believe there were some other uh, things that happened to him that year, DNFs and accidents and incidents and other things that maybe took away some points and maybe a potential win, but definitely that early win. He could have had three wins in that season. Yeah, he was definitely super quick that season because I saw in the notes he um, he won the most pole positions that year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, was, he was very quick in the package. Uh, together was the best, you know, in qualifying trim, seemed to be the best package that year. Yeah. Uh, last year, 2021, um, finished seventh in the Drivers' Championship. His best qualifying position was first, pole position, which he did twice. And his best finish was P2 in Silverstone. And I'll just recap his uh, performance in the Drivers' Championship. 
last few years. Well, this is his whole career here. Uh, 2018 rookie season finished 13th with Sauber, then goes over to Ferrari. 2019 finishes fourth. 2020 way back to eighth, uh, and then 2021 rebounded a little bit uh, to seventh. So he's obviously regarded as one of you know the super talents in the sport, and but just hasn't quite pushed through to the front uh, in the in the championship. And just hasn't had the consistent results, and maybe hasn't had the right car to do that yet. Probably not only in 2019, really. He's sort of like another, the next Verstappen, or, or actually the better comparison would be Russell, because he had a, a his CV pre-Formula 1 was closer to Russell's. But he's a gold, the golden boy, a golden boy. He's Ferrari's golden boy, as Russell would be Mercedes' new golden boy. So just getting into his background a little bit before Formula 1, he began karting at the age of 7, so another early, early uh, beginner, yep. so to speak. He had a pretty amazing karting career. I mean, I didn't go through it in that much detail to see. I didn't count how many championships he won, but there were a lot of a lot of championship wins, a lot of first in karting. Karted for a number of years, uh, stepped into into cars, and had success pretty much the whole run there. Uh, 2016, he won the GP3 championship. 2017, he won the F2 championship, and then he steps to F1 with Sauber. So he cleans up. Just like Russell does in the lower formula, he is you know, the golden boy. He's the next yeah. uh, incumbent you know, world champion in Ferrari, I mean, you know, at least according to their, their, at least according to you know, how they want things to go. Ferrari brings him in, puts him in Sauber for a year, right up to the Ferrari seat next year. Only one year in the Sauber, and now we're not talking about Mercedes this time. We'll get to them, you know, but that just brings into that. Generally, Ferrari historically didn't want inexperienced drivers, even in the number two seat. And so it was kind of a big deal that they only gave him one year in Sauber before bumping him up. That was Mm -hmm. a a little bit against what they normally would do, historically at least. It surely was enough, though. It It clearly was enough, right? So only one year in the Sauber, his second year in Formula One, he steps up, four-time world champion Vettel. Here we go again with Vettel. Yeah. Four, t- four, catch four consecutive world championships. Ricardo comes in. Vettel moves on from that. Now he's at Ferrari. He shades Raikkonen, another world champion. Leclerc comes in. Ugh, you know, you got to think with Vettel, the cars have shifted. We talked about that before in a different episode. The cars may have shifted and not to his liking, and you know, so that's very possible. But looking at it on the Leclerc side, he's the golden boy, right? He's going to get a big contract, right, after that season. Mm-hmm. Well, it might have taken another year, but now he's you know he signed through 24, I believe. And you know what? What a year in 2019. Vettel moves on again, right? And this one, yep. pretty much, probably, unless Aston Martin becomes a top two or three team, this time pushed Vettel towards the back end of his career, the downward yeah. winding down of his career, most likely. Leclerc, 2019, first year in the Ferrari, incredible. We haven't been talking about Leclerc a whole lot in the last two years. For me, I had no. to shift my allegiance to Verstappen to find the person who would end the boredom of <laughs> Mercedes, another Hamilton Mercedes title. I didn't think it was boring. I'm go on. <laughs> if uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, Leclerc can, if Ferrari can be back in the mix this year um, for wins, I'm probably going to be shifting towards. You know, further, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to 
you know, move towards Leclerc and hoping that Leclerc fandom. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm back on his bandwagon um, because that's even more exciting, right? Another, another different winner. You know, it wouldn't be interesting as much as I, you know, would be happy if we're stopping one, the title again, it wouldn't be interesting if he just walks it like Hamilton had been walking it before. Right. Let's come on. Um, right. But anyway, I have to sometimes to, remind myself that I was a Leclerc fan before I was a Verstappen fan. I used to dislike Verstappen because <laughs> he was the new young guy. But, yeah. um, you know, that was just because of my, my Ricardo uh, love affair. But anyway, so I, I think that's kind of for me with Leclerc is just uh, he's the golden boy. And I think this year kind of might uh, reignite that in everybody's memory. Yeah. Um, or at least maybe in mine. I, I'm the one who forgot him. I'm not necessarily everyone else. But. Right. Well, yeah, and it would be fun to see Ferrari uh, back up at the front, and uh, maybe Leclerc's a driver to to do that. I think he is, and but we'll start talking about his his teammate Carlos Sainz. Yeah. And it's going to be pretty close, I think. And you know, it always comes back to Verstappen for me somehow. That's going to bring me back to Verstappen too, because of course Sainz was uh, initially paired with Verstappen at uh, Toro Rosso. Oh right. So let's get to let's get to Carlos. Let's talk about Sainz. And I'll just summarize his uh, F1 career. Science made his F1 debut in the 2015 season with Toro Rosso, raced with Toro Rosso 2015 to 2017. Uh, during the 2017 season, he moved over to Renault, raced with Renault through 2018, then on to McLaren for 2019-2020, and finally uh, Science went on to Ferrari in 2021. Wow, kind of what a ride. A lot of teams. A lot of teams. Science has uh, 141 career F1 starts, six podiums, best finish P2, which he's done twice, and career F1 points, 536.5. Last year in the Drivers' Championship, 2021, he finished fifth, uh, just ahead of Norris in sixth, and also just ahead of Leclerc, who finished in seventh, but the points were really tight between those three. And no wins yet in Formula yeah. One. But I want to point out that win that Gasly got, he was second and he was on the charge. I, b- I believe it was that race. And he almost had it. Now, he was still with McLaren there. But if it would have been a lap, two laps, three laps longer, he probably would have got the win. I remember him on the radio saying, I really want this. <laughs> I want this win or something like that. And he didn't get it. And I remember thinking at the time, is that going to be his last chance at a win? And of course, now that he's with Ferrari, I think he's going to get a shot at, uh, at some more wins here. Um, his best qualifying performance last year was P2 in Russia. Best finish, P2 in Monaco. Also had three P3s, so strong, uh, some strong podiums last year. Yeah, and that's consistency for uh, a new driver to the team. And just to recap his performance in the Drivers' Championship last few years, uh, 2017, this is with Renault, finishes ninth. 2018, 10th with Renault. 2019, now he's with McLaren, 6th. Uh, 2020, 6th. And I mentioned last year up to 5th with Ferrari. A nice progression of the grid. See if that can continue. Yeah, so a, a steady progression. Um, and if we look at the um, intra-team uh, battle between Leclerc and uh, Sainz uh, last year, Leclerc out-qualified signs 13 to 9 and also in race result uh leclerc uh out finished signs 13 to 9 as well so we started carding at the age of 11 a little late for what you'd expect although that might have something to do with who his father was of course uh, mm-hmm. carlos mm-hmm. Sainz senior two-time world rally champion 
Uh, I don't know if he'd started thinking about doing rally cars before he moved to regular cars. I do like that the son kind of found his own path mm-hmm. in motorsports, you know, whatever. But that's uh, that's interesting to me. He did win the 2014 Formula Renault three and a half championship, 3.5 championship, uh, which then sprung board him into F1 um, and into the Toro Rosso seat. And I really watched that comparison. I followed the Verstappen science comparison because I'm not a huge uh, rally fan, uh, but I do enjoy it. And I did know who his dad was. And, you know, so it, it made me interested in watching him. And then Verstappen, of course, was like the young, barely had any time in cars, carding phenom. I remember watching his father in Formula One. So that was an interesting pairing to me. And mm. I tend to favor the underdog initially, like my instinctive I favor the yeah, underdog, and I favor the older guy who's getting pushed out by the young guy. So yeah. Verstappen, of course, very arrogant and cocky and aggressive. I did not like Verstappen. I rooted for science over Verstappen. I mean, I didn't dislike either of them, but I rooted for science over him. Very even pairing, though. I mean, they were they were close, and science was every the measure of Verstappen. Of course, Verstappen's less experienced, but... You're talking about at Red Bull? Uh, at, at, Toro, at Toro Rosso. At Toro Rosso. Um, Their year, or a couple years together okay. um, at Toro Rosso, or at least a year and a half. So when Verstappen got the bump up to Red Bull, I was disappointed because I felt like science had earned it too. Now, mm-hmm. they had both earned it. And of course, in hindsight, and even then, probably, you know, Verstappen was the, the future is now with Red Bull. Verstappen was the future. Saints wasn't that much older than him, though. Um, anyway, so when that happened, you got to think, oh, what's going to happen to science? Well, the same thing we're talking about with Gasly, but I feel like science saw the writing on the wall before it was too late. Mm-hmm. Um, got the loan, at least loan, I think, to Renault, and then I don't know if it was when he moved to McLaren from Renault or when he, somewhere in between then, he kind of got a severed, severed his ties with Red Bull because where are you going to go in the Red Bull program? Verstappen, you know, now we know he's tied for, you know, until 2050 or whatever it is. <laughs> so where are you going to go in the Red Bull program? Yeah. Get out of the Red Bull program. Um, you know, Ricardo did it, and then Science did it. And I think he made, you know, made the moves at the right time. Everybody kept going to Renault because they were the newest factory team, or not newest, but, you know, they were newest committed, recommitted factory team, and they're going to be the next team to pop up, and they just haven't seemed to do it. Mm. But Science then saw McLaren's looking promising. So, does well against Verstappen. Look at look at what Verstappen's just done. Yeah. Right? Science really compares very well against him. Um, I didn't go through his time at Renault in too much detail, but I think he looked pretty good against Hulkenberg, even though he hadn't uh, you know had to had to do the adaptation thing. And I've talked about the bromance. We get he gets into McLaren, and the two the two of them, Norris and Science, are just with each other. You know, they're helping the team get better. They're happy, you know, they're probably yeah. hanging out after hours and whatever. And then the McLaren gets a little better. And right. <laughs> um, and then he used it as a springboard to Ferrari. You know, this is this is how you play musical chairs in Formula One. Yeah. This is how you get up the grid when you ended up in the wrong factory program, right? He ended up in the Red Bull. It's not the wrong program for him. It, it got him there. But, you know, he ran into Verstappen. He wasn't the ultimate one selected as the, the golden boy for that. So yeah. when that happens to you, uh, uh, you know, Formula One's a cruel sport. And there are plenty of drivers who had the level of talent to be world champion, probably. But because there wasn't a seat at the right time, right. that's it. You know, I mean, that is it. Yeah. And so science, the move to Renault didn't turn out to be the one that would get him what race wins. The move to McLaren didn't turn out fast enough. 
to be race wins. You know, Norris is, is, is still younger, but science, it's got to happen quickly. You got to get in that seat. You got to get in that seat or you become yesterday's news and there's the next new kid coming up. Um, you know, Ocon's yeah. established at Renault, but you got Oscar Piastri. So then the move from McLaren to Ferrari, I think, was another stroke, a genius. Fits, um, you know, fits in well with the team, with Leclerc, and now we can start to talk about the comparison between the two of them. But this is interesting to me. He, okay, different experience levels, long time ago, he was pretty much an even match for Verstappen. Maybe Verstappen had a little bit of that extra speed. I expected him to do well against Leclerc, but again, I rate Leclerc as another Verstappen, another once another in a generation generational talent. Talent. Yeah. So what is, what are they going to do against each other? Science is going to need the adaptation time, but he seemed to get it fairly quick, and they seemed to settle into a darn close rivalry. I believe that uh, that Leclerc beat him in points, or I'm sorry, I believe that Science won in points. But if you look at the year, Leclerc had a lot of problems, and Leclerc was the better driver over the season, I think. I think they're going to be very evenly matched this year. For me, I'm very excited about seeing how that teammate comparison comes out. My, I'm going to make a prediction here that I think that Sainz is a, a great talent, but Leclerc is like a Hamilton for stopping. They can just get that extra tenth in speed. I mm-hmm. think that probably over a race distance, there may not be anything between them, but Leclerc has that tenth in qualifying, or at least can get it more often, get consistently, have have more consistency with it. I think that uh, Leclerc is going to come out on top because of that. But here's where science can prove that he is the Verstappen, a Hamilton. If he can match or rise above Leclerc, um, you never know. Now, the future is now for Ferrari. That's the future is Leclerc, but... I don't know. Saints is actually the one driver I think in these in these pairings where the team has committed to one guy that really could upset the balance or be a real even two number ones effectively, or maybe even beat Leclerc and take that number one status. Not very likely, but that's about not not very many places you can do that these days. And I think he may be the one that has a shot at it. Yeah. Well, as you mentioned, he did, um, science did uh, edge out Leclerc in the driver's championship last year. Science was fifth with 164 and a half points and Leclerc was seventh with 159 points. So super tight. And as you mentioned, Leclerc had some, uh, some issues. I don't want to take away from the possibility that Norris is a Verstappen, uh, the possibility that Ricardo is that level of talent, the Hamilton Verstappen level, whatever. I don't want to take away from those guys, but obviously next episode we'll talk about Russell and Hamilton at Mercedes. Pretty hard to argue that the best driver pairing in Formula One isn't those two guys this year. But the other one you could argue is Ferrari. You really could, for I think the reasons I've gone through, at least for me, you really could argue that those two drivers, that pairing is one of the best in Formula One, or let's say second best, because <laughs> if Hamilton's in the team and you got a guy like Russell on the team, it's pretty hard to beat that. Okay, well, that about does it for uh, Ferrari. Uh, Charles, any any takeaways, any predictions? I don't think any more than we've discussed. I'm, I'm not going to make any specific predictions about the performance other than I think that they'll be really evenly matched. I don't know who's going to come out on top, but I think Leclerc will have that little 10th advantage in qualifying. Um, I think he has just a little more outright speed, but I, it should be clear I really rate science high. So... I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Um, 
I think looking from testing, I'm going to say that Ferrari is going to be in the mix for at least wins this year, possibly the world title. Um, and I think that all depends on how quickly Mercedes gets their car going, because clearly they will at some point. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how good is Ferrari uh, based on the testing. And this teammate battle is going to be really fun to watch. I think I say that about every almost teammate comparison, but I really mean it with these guys. This is really one of the uh, comparisons that I'm going to be watching this year. And with that, we can uh, close the book on Ferrari. And that'll do it for us today. Thanks for joining us at the F1 Runoff Area Podcast. If you'd like to reach us with any comments or questions, feel free to email us at f1runoffarea at gmail.com. And on whatever platform you're listening on, please take a minute to like and subscribe. And please join us for our next episode where we're going to cap off our team preview series of episodes with the number two and number one teams from 2021, Red Bull and Mercedes. See you later. It's called a motor race, okay? We went to car racing. Car racing. Car racing. Car racing. Car racing. Car racing.